not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tucker Out. I'm Troy. I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about cultural icon Tucker Carlson. How you doing, Tyler? Not too bad. Less tired than you, I think. Is it snowing where you are? Um, just a little bit. I can still see the grass, but it's all streaked with white. Yeah, no, we 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 have a uh, a, a nice veneer of snow, and uh, it has got me feeling very seasonally depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really upset when I opened my blinds this morning. Yeah, so there is going to be in this episode some some discussion of sexual violence, including sexual violence against minors. And uh, I will put timestamp warnings in the episode description if you want to see where in the episode that those are, if you want to skip them. Um, but if that's something that you have a really hard time hearing about, you, you may want to consider skipping this one. Um, so yeah, with that out of the way, Tyler, we have an episode to go over today. Um, uh, but before that, uh, we have a new patron. Yeah, I have to do, do that first. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, we have one new patron this week. Um, Erica is an elite. Thank you very much, Erica. Yes. Thank you, Erica. And please stop rigging everything in this country against conservatives. Like what's, what's your problem? elite it was okay Trash i got gotcha. you okay <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and, and and before we before we get down to business on this week's episode um tyler when you're beat you're beat and i uh i i, I believe in admitting when you've lost and i will cop to it there are a couple of uh, things that i i missed in our show last week <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. So in our uh in our coverage of Patriot Purge, I learned some lessons from this. I learned primarily uh never take anything a grifter says at face value. Because <laughs> when Ali Alexander said Stop the Steel had a permit on January 6th, I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. They probably had a permit. Well, it turns out uh motherfuckers didn't have a permit. Alexander claimed that they that their permit was for lot eight on the Capitol grounds. Lot eight can only be reserved for 50 people or less. A a dummy organization called a one nation under God had a permit at lot eight that day. And it appears to have been a front because this, this one nation under God thing was a sham. And it was Ali Alexander knowing that they were going to have way more than 50 people and knowing that this was going to get out of control. Um, It was a lie, which never trust these people that's that's the takeaway yeah yeah. maybe we should have expected that um yeah i i can't keep track of all the lies either when i listen to like candace owens talk or something it's like what do you even focus on i i get lost in it and then the other lesson learned is uh should have looked into taylor hansen he was the guy who when he came up i explicitly said this is the only one i didn't really look into much uh, yeah, it turns out he has he enjoys some um, burning Black Lives Matter flags with Infowars hosts, and, huh. and has uh, uh, a nice rap sheet of other transgressions. So, what it, a lovely, lovely man! Yeah, so shocker! It was literally every every single source of information in the documentary was a huge piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, so it seems that way, huh? 
Yeah. Um, and then I also, I, there was a point where I, I was speaking loosely and I said something that like, I, I know what I meant, but the words that I said were factually incorrect. I was talking about how um, I think that Tucker might leave Fox News down the line. And I said that they might not renew his contract because he's not making them money. And I was talking about his shit advertisers. But it's not its not really fair to say in the broader scheme of things that Tucker is making them money. He's hands down their biggest draw. If you go to the Fox Nation website, they have on the homepage these blocks, like six different categories. So it's like Fox Business, Fox Politics, Fox Religion. And then there's an entire section just for Tucker Carlson. He, When he began making exclusive okay. content for the streaming service, then their, their subscribers jumped dramatically. So he, he he is a big draw and like, so it, it's, it's not as though he isn't profitable for them. And that wasn't what I meant to say, but it was kind of how I worded it. And just to, for the sake of being correct, I want to point out that that's not really the case. Okay. So it's like his show isn't very profitable, but he Tucker, the character is a big draw and like makes money other ways for the. Right. Yeah, okay. exactly. Because nobody wants to advertise on his show, but yeah. Yeah. So then with that said, um, I, I wanted us to look at the nightly show this week because it's it's been about three weeks since we've dealt with that that business and I uh maybe four. And I don't like to get too much distance between us and the nightly show just because it, narratives will kind of evolve week to week. And if we if we spend too much time away, then that, there ends up being more backlog that I have to do. Where like, uh, th- this is what he was talking about. This is something that first came up two weeks ago, and this is what it's become as he's lied about it more and more. And, and it's it, it it's easier when there's less less distance, so you have to step back. Right. So I I, I wanted us to do an, to, to do a nightly show episode, and uh, this week was a shit show. So nothing out of the ordinary. <laughs> yeah, so the the biggest recurring theme on this week's show was the Cal Rittenhouse trial. And there are a couple of topics that when we started the show, I was like, this is my podcast and I just don't want to deal with these certain things a lot. One of them, like, I want to talk about Trump as little as possible. I mean, we have to sometimes, but to the extent he can be avoided, I try to. Yeah, I talk about climate change when we need to, but I like I don't like to dwell on climate change because it's so profoundly depressing. Um, yeah, and then Kyle Rittenhouse, I, I, I don't, I didn't want to fucking talk about Kyle Rittenhouse because it makes me so angry that people I know can look at this situation and, and call this kid a hero when he traveled across state lines for the purpose of seeking violence. And you can tell me he was defending property or trying to administer aid. What He, he, he was going to fucking hunt people. Yes. I, uh, I also spent my entire week trying to know as little about Kyle Rittenhouse as possible. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, and, and, and that, that's kind of, it's, it's the main story this week. And, as I was listening through, I was like, do we have to talk about this? And what it boiled down to is like, is there anything we can reasonably add to this? Because everybody is talking about Kyle Rittenhouse this week. 
is there anything that we're going to draw from the coverage on Tucker's show that sets this apart from any other coverage? And I don't think so. Um, Tucker's Tucker's coverage of the trial is very predictable. It's just, oh, Kyle was obviously acting in self-defense. We've known that for a year. Um, they're just trying to persecute him because the government hates white people and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um any, anybody with a cursory knowledge of Tucker knows that's going to be his take. And it's, I, I don't know, it's, I don't think it's very deep well for us. So I decided I'm going to stick to my guns and we're not going to fuck with Kyle Rittenhouse much. That's fine with me. Um, so far, Kyle Rittenhouse, not a great dude. Uh, moving on. And not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then... We are only dealing with November 8th today. That's Monday's show. Because frankly, I, after diving into all the bullshit on this episode, I, I decided to put Tucker on timeout this week. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so fed up with, with this bullshit, and you'll see why by the end. I have never met anyone more deserving of a timeout than Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Where is his fucking mom? So with that said, let's jump into uh, the beginning of Monday's show and see where Tucker's head is at. For context, he's talking about Joe Biden's low approval ratings. Okay. The question is, why is this happening? Why are people so dissatisfied all of a sudden with Joe Biden? Well, the obvious answer is, and you're going to hear a lot of people say this, Joe Biden is senile and ineffective. But if you think about it, that's not true. It can't really be true because voters knew perfectly well all along that Biden was doddering. They knew that when they elected him. It was obvious even then. In fact, it was part of his appeal. Biden was too slow to be threatening to anyone. This was not a guy who was going to be making a lot of sudden moves. If you secretly wished it was still 1985, Joe Biden was your man because he was under the impression that it actually was. So no, senility is not Joe Biden's main problem. Joe Biden's problem is weakness. Biden is afraid. You see it every time you look at him. He's overwhelmed. He's off balance. And that's why he's so often snappy and aggressive, because underneath it all, he feels anxious. Biden isn't always sure where he is or what's happening around him. So a man like that cannot possibly lead a country this complex. But the problem is his weakness makes him a target for predators. Ideologues like Susan Rice or Barack Obama can take a man like that hostage and make him read their scripts. So Joe Biden is not authoritarian enough. That's the that's the position. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- this is a, uh, a an evolution. Tucker has kind of been playing with the versions of this particular narrative for a bit now about um the reason it's a problem that Biden is obviously senile is because that means he's easily manipulated by the people really pulling the strings, which are Ob- Barack Obama and Susan Rice. Um, <laughs> so, so he's, I, I think he's settled on like the exact version of that story he wants to tell now, because it's going to become pretty omnipresent in the, in his coverage going forward. <laughs> yes. Cause what this country really needs is someone who can pretend that they can handle all of the responsibilities of being president without any issues whatsoever. God, like when, when Trump said, I alone can fix it, I guarantee Tucker got a boner. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the kind of daddy I want in the White House. 
He's going to slide into an example here that he thinks illustrates how Biden really isn't in control. That's exactly what is happening. And you saw it so clearly last week. Our own Peter Ducey asked Biden about the White House plan to pay reparations to illegal aliens up to almost half a million dollars per person. So the very idea of an administration doing that under any circumstances is completely deranged. What's interesting is that Joe Biden, who's not ideological, he's emotional, Biden understood that immediately. And so he responded when asked the way that any normal person would. He said, effectively, what the hell are you talking about? That's crazy. Watch. Yeah, so he, he, he plays a clip from the White House press pool of uh, Peter Ducey, who's Fox's, one of, one of Fox's White House reporters, asking Biden basically, like, if you give reparations to illegal immigrants of $450,000, which we'll talk about, um, but if, if you're offering illegal immigrants this money, then don't you think that's going to encourage more people to come here illegally? To which Biden says, if you keep putting that garbage out, then yeah, because that's, that's a garbage report. Um, this reparations thing, have you heard about this? Uh, no. So what this is, Tucker's been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, but since we haven't been, been in the nightly show, this will be our first time dealing with it. Okay. This is a narrative that's been going around. What's happening? Um, the Biden administration is in talks to settle out of court in cases involving lawsuits with the, the families um, the migrant families who were separated at the border under Trump's family separation policy. Okay. Um, so uh, over, over 900 lawsuits have been filed in those cases from families who were separated. Um, okay. And I think a settlement is the least those families deserve. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, in response to those lawsuits, the Biden administration is considering payments of up to $450,000 to parents and children, or combined $900,000 to families who were separated. This is, uh, there are still over a thousand families that haven't been reunited despite the program ending in 2018. Wow. So this is over a thousand families uh, three years later still separated, including like cases in which either the children or the parents who are missing cannot be located at this time. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yeah, there are cases in which um, the parents were deported back to their countries of origin and the children are still here. Like, it's it, it's it's a fucking mess. Yep. And like you said, I, I think that the settlement's probably the least they deserve. Like, I'm totally okay with the government paying out this money to these families. Um, but Tucker thinks it's deranged. Exactly, yeah. We're, we're p- paying people to break our laws? How dare you? Um, <sighs> and then... And this this isn't necessarily like totally virtuous on behalf of the administration either. I read a Washington Post article where they interviewed uh, Heidi Lee Fellman from Georgetown University, who's an immigration law expert. She explained how it's possible that if these cases were to go before a jury, that the, the, the families could actually be awarded much larger payouts. And so the settlement is kind of a means of the government being able to say, Hey, we're going to pay this money. We don't need to go to trial and relitigate this whole thing that makes makes the government look monstrous and evil. And we're, we'll pay this four hundred fifty thousand dollars. And given that this case has to do with like the psychological damage to children, that's hard to put a number on. It's entirely possible that were that were they to go before a jury, the jury could afford a lot more to these families. So this is actually potentially the Biden administration keeping the price tag smaller. Okay. On one hand. 
that's a little irritating. On the other hand, I want this done like two years ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if this gets people back together faster, um, I think I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Like I, if those I, are the only two choices. Yeah, I cannot understand Tucker, who talks constantly about how the family is the most important thing and the government should be supporting families that he can have no empathy for over a thousand families who are ripped apart by force of the United States government and, and have not yet been reunited years later. It's, th- this is insane. Well, obviously family doesn't include Brown people, Troy. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's so obvious that he's, that it's, it's, it's gross. Um, I think we'll say that a lot people who were born here. So then, but yeah, Tucker plays that clip of Biden telling Peter Ducci, like, this is a garbage report. We're not paying people to break our laws. And this is Tucker coming back from that. Now, whatever you think of Biden, he's been in politics for more than 50 years. And at this point, if nothing else, he's got a pretty good gut sense of these things. So the second he heard that idea, the second Peter Ducey presented it to him, he was against it on instinct. Unfortunately, Joe Biden is no longer in charge. He no longer makes meaningful decisions. The ideologues are in charge. The Obama people are in charge. That's the point. That's what we're watching. So after that moment, they hauled Joe Biden before the Central Committee. They gave him a good re-education. And the next thing you know, Biden is out there dutifully repeating their lunatic slogans. Watch this. If, in fact, because of the, the outrageous behavior of the last administration, you coming across the border, whether it was legal or illegal, and you lost your child. You lost your child. It's gone. You deserve some kind of compensation, no matter what the circumstance. What that will be, I have no idea. I have no idea. So Tucker interprets this as Biden flip-flopping. Now he's saying, oh, we are going to pay money to these families, which the, the wording that Peter Ducci used in the press pool was, paying reparations to illegal immigrants, which is not is not necessarily the same thing. I can see how Biden might have been confused by the question. So I, I don't think that he's contradicted himself necessarily. Yeah, reparations to illegal immigrants kind of implies all Ill- illegal immigrants. And this is like a targeted thing. So like the framing there is is disingenuous too. And the criticism that Tucker and people on the right will make of this is that Oh, well, obviously, this is going to incentivize more people to come here illegally if you're offering them half a million dollars. No, that's not what's happening because the the, right. the family separation program hasn't been in effect since 2018. This incentive you're so worried about does not exist. Right. It's, which they know, but they're intentionally obfuscating because they want excuses to be hateful to uh, people who weren't born here. Yes. To be racist. So then um, Tucker kind of waxes philosophical from this for a little bit. You see that? The narrowed eyes, the finger point, the jabbing in your face. Notice how angry Biden looks in that clip. This is not a man who's in control, not of his own emotions, obviously, but also not of the administration he supposedly runs. The ideologues are in control, and that is a huge problem for the rest of us. It's a problem because ideologues have no interest in the lives of actual human beings. Ideologues care only about their theories, about the bright new future they are building. Human beings are just speed bumps on the way to utopia. So not surprisingly, when ideologues take over a society, any society, in any country, at any point throughout history, 
Life always gets much worse for most people. Borders fall, crime rises, schools collapse, inflation gets out of control. Suddenly there are drug addicts living in tent cities in your neighborhood screaming at your kids as you walk by. Quality of life falls off a cliff. It's intolerable for most people. But the ideologues don't care because they're completely focused on the shiny new society they're constructing. Nothing else matters. Perfection is always just around the corner. As soon as we get rid of all these white men, everything will be great. They say that and they really believe it. Tucker, if you had a single ounce of empathy for literal human children who were separated from their families two fucking years ago, you would be angry too. So fuck you. Yeah, I, I can think of few more justified causes for anger, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he's going on about like made up elites, ideologues who, what, what do you mean? Yeah. People it, who write for the New York general are in shirt for the, uh, New York Times are in charge of no they're not <laughs> that's why they're yeah. journalists yeah he's just regurgitating Cur- courtesy Arvin's bullshit <laughs> and it's like it, okay I, somebody has probably said once you get rid of all the white men everything will be fine but he's he's acting as though that is the operating theory of all of his enemies which is absurd Right. Like statistically, any awful thing you can think someone's probably said it, but (laughs) that doesn't mean that that is the position of a large group of people. And then, and he just like, he has to like make up these fake villains because everything is going well for him. (laughs) So, like, oh, Biden isn't in charge. It's the ideologues. You have to be afraid of the ideologues who are really in charge. Like, there's, there's nothing to be afraid of here. Like, and and the the way he talks about this is just so casually conspiratorial. Like, oh, Biden said the wrong thing on TV, so they hold him before the Central Planning Committee and reeducated him. It's ridiculous. Yep, just making shit up. Speaking of making shit up, he he uh, he wants to talk to Candace about this. My um, favorite person. I mean, who, who else are you going to call when when the <laughs> president wants to pay reparations to illegals? That's that's got Candace Owens written all over it. Candace Owens is the host of Candace on The Daily Wire, and we're grateful to have her now. Candace, great to see you. So they are intentionally making things worse because tearing down what we have is a prerequisite to building utopia. I, I think that is the answer to what we're seeing. That's exactly correct. And this is an especially sensitive topic for me today, because I spent the earlier part of the day speaking to a, a North Korean defector. And I, I was actually horrified hearing her speak about what she lived through while she was in North Korea and understanding that, you know, what they're really trying to do right here in America is build exactly that model where the state controls and owns and operates everything. You will have nothing and you will be happy because you will have served some higher purpose, some higher government, some higher idea, which you're talking about, these ideologues, some higher idea, green new energy. You did it for your planet. You need to have nothing. You need to shut down these pipelines. You're not going to be able to afford to fill up gas. But look at you. You should be proud because now this is a part of the Green New Plan. And by the way, if you want anything, you've got to worship government. This is the whole reason why when you talk about what is the thing that connects these attack of the education system, why are they dumbing down kids? Why are they being so horrible about families? Why do they want parents? Why do they want children turning to government and not to their parents for answers? Well, one thing that ties this all is that they don't want there to be anything but the state in your individual lives. In fact, one of the things that this North Korean 
Pfeiffer told me was that there was no concept of love, right? She said, we don't, we don't have words like stress. We don't have words like social justice uh, it, 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 in Korean. She's like, there's no concept of this in the state because they don't want you to even think about that because you're supposed to know that this is how things are supposed to be. Well, that was a lot of bullshit all at once. Okay. <laughs> um, they're talking about Democrats, but not describing any positions that Democrats hold. No Democrat is like, you know who we need to be more like? North Korea. N- none of them. There's zero. What the fuck uh, are you talking about, Candace? If you hang out in, in certain places on the internet, you can meet a lot of like Stalinists or Maoists and like people who, people who apologize for those types of regimes. And yes, I disagree with those people, but even in those spaces, I have never once met somebody who's like, yeah, North Korea is doing it right. <laughs> Another thing, interesting that um, Candace cares so much about kids talking to their parents in this context. Really? You're really going to say that right now after we're talking about separating children from their parents and they Completely still can't find them after two years. She just says whatever the fuck she wants and nothing happens. It's so irritating. I hate her so much. <laughs> Yeah, I and I, I was interested in this conversation she had with a North Korean defector, so I went, I went and found that. It was a recent episode of her, of her talk show. It was super interesting. So the, uh, the this defector that she spoke with, she told Candace all about the horrors of North Korea and how they had to eat mud, then also tie that into a lot of right-wing talking points about how she thinks it's so funny when people in America say they're oppressed, they don't know what oppression is, and then went on to describe how... Um, it's good that in America there's inequality because that means there's economic mobility. And if you have homeless people, that means that you have the opportunity to become a rich person. Those things are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not can, exaggerating that. I promise. <laughs> you can eradicate homelessness and also have social mobility. You, you can restrict social mobility to not include homelessness. <laughs> yeah, why, why is that a virtue? Yeah, it, the the whole thing m- m- was very head scratchy to me. So I, I I did a little bit of background in the on this defector, and this is someone who her descriptions of what she went through in North Korea are often contradicted by other North Korean defectors, and she has been accused by by other um you know North Korean expats of exaggerating or making shit up. Why? Who benefits from this? I don't understand. Like well, North Korea sucks. To, you don't have to she, pretend that it sucks more. <laughs> well, I, I think what it is, she seems to have found a pretty lucrative knit niche as um somebody who goes on these like right wing talk shows and talks about how scary and evil socialism is. Um, okay. So like I, I like sure your. That, sorry, I, I liked your Midwestern. Uh, niche coming out because everyone else in the world says niche <laughs> yeah, i've become so much more self-conscious of my pronunciation as we've been doing this show because yeah <laughs> yeah like, i still I, think I, about when someone was like i went to tucker.pod.com and it wasn't every, there yet <laughs> every time i listen back and i say probably instead of probably i cringe and <laughs> I think I do the same thing. So I, I'm, I'm sure this has been lucrative for Miss Park, the defector. I was curious about some of the claims, like we don't have a word for stress in North Korea because the government doesn't want you to complain. 
when I heard that, I was like, I'm pretty sure that North and South Korea both speak Korean. Like mm-hmm. the North Korean government didn't invent the language and, and like pick and choose what words they wanted. So I, I actually reached out to some people on a Korean language subreddit just to confirm that there is in fact a word for stress. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that before. I don't know what context it was in, but I feel like it's something that people say is like, Oh, we don't even have a word for this in this language. It's like, well, you just describe it with a different word, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, while I was there and listening listening to that interview, I also um I, I ended up listening to some other segments from Candace's talk show, which I I'm never ha- I never had before. And a couple of things st- stood out to me. Um Candace's show is very anti-vax and very transphobic. Um on both counts, more so than Tucker's show. Really? Yeah. That's a um, feat. <laughs> and she also did a nine minute take down a big bird what um, <laughs> yeah. uh in which she played over two minutes of uninterrupted sesame street on her show so <laughs> okay um list of things that are not worth getting mad at for nine minutes straight uh, she, she, actually, she actually addresses that criticism in her rant about how mad she is about Big Bird. <laughs> Does she address it well? What's her what's her counter oh, no. argument? Um, okay, yeah, that's that follows. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that's what Candace has been up to, and that's kind of what put her in the mood for this kind of bullshit. We're seeing right now, and people thought this was a radical concept years ago. This is a Republican talking point. It's not. We are seeing America being radically transformed into a communist country. That is what is happening right now. People need to wake up to this sucker. I cannot say it enough because it's happening quickly. How have they done it? They needed an existential crisis. Well, COVID-19 is their never-ending existential crisis. This is why we have to take everything that you own. This is why we have to shut down your businesses. This is why you can't earn a living while we take trillions for ourselves, because we're here to help. No, we're not. We're here to take over every aspect of your lives and welcome you to a socialist reverie. I mean, that's very eloquently put. I'll give her that. Reverie is a fun word. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I'll give her points for reverie. So then we're we're being transformed into a communist country. Yeah, yeah. You know, by the increasing wealth inequality. Um, (laughs) Um. And then Tucker has this follow-up. It just feels like the cost of this is getting really high. You can feel underneath, I mean, there are a lot of signs of it without being too specific, but you can kind of feel the society going sideways underneath. I mean, you, you could see actual unrest. That's the last thing anybody wants. Do you think they're aware that they could be putting too much pressure on the population? I think they're aware, but I don't think they're scared. You know, I think this is something that's been going along, going on for a very long time. This didn't begin with Joseph Biden. We know that, you know, Hillary Clinton would have been a person that helped to catalyze this had she have gotten, had she had become our president, but she didn't get that. And they felt like Trump actually stopped their plans. You know, they started this process very slowly and nobody really was awake to it. I certainly wasn't. I thought, okay, maybe, maybe we are just trying to do some socially good things. Maybe they are just trying to help everybody out. But then suddenly when Trump was in office, it became very apparent that something else was happening happening in this country you know hillary clinton just shaking her fist and i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you you meddling kids and your orange president 
yeah. Um, so this has reminded me of something that I was struggling with yesterday. Um, it is so irritating to me that um, conservatives, these two in particular right now, are afraid of legitimate things to be afraid of if they were actually happening. Like they're afraid of like a totalitarian takeover of like your personal life. And you're not going to be allowed to believe certain things. Those are dangerous things. And if they were actually happening, I would agree that they were bad. So it's, yes. just, it's so irritating. <laughs> uh, and like, I know we've taught, we've touched on this before, but um, someone just like sent me a picture yesterday of like, it's we're not forcing you you just we're just taking away all of your rights until you consent and like that is a legitimately dangerous like thing to have happen but it's it's not (laughs) um (laughs) it's not happening so the fact that you're upset about it is a problem um and i'm just uh i've been working my way through how to handle like this thought process like it's it's is it just they don't live in reality? Like I don't know how to I don't know how to engage with that. <laughs> yeah, part of it almost does feel like uh, like just de-escalation. Like you're trying to talk somebody down in a hostage negotiation. Like yeah, let, let, let's chill out. This isn't as bad as you think. <laughs> right. But but also like there there are a lot of things that are much worse than they think. Like people should be this freaked out. Like, I, I wish people were as freaked out about as they are about a communist takeover as like we are about climate change, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an actual societal imminent collapse, an actual imminent societal collapse. Um, and we Tucker, should we should care about that. <laughs> and Tucker talks a lot about how the, the powers that be are pushing all this racial division crap to distract us from the real issues and to him, the real issues are like immigration. I mean, that's really the main one. Yeah, um, like that's what he's doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like it, we're just doing we're just doing immigration from a different perspective. Like it's all about. We just, think people should be allowed to remain alive. So just hide the ball. Like, d- don't pay attention to the billionaire class extracting all the all the wealth from you and all the life from the planet. W- worry about these poor migrants looking for their children like it yeah it, it, it it's all obfuscation and it's it's so frustrating yeah and like i want to get better at engaging with this stuff and i i just it's so hard <laughs> you'll be shocked to hear what exactly the elites are using to divide us tyler Oh, will I? Will I be shocked? Obsessive focus, obsession and focus on racism, on white supremacy, on making children say, look, and anything that happens in this in this country is the fault of racism, not the obvious fault of what's standing in your face, which is that it is the fault of government. Every hardship that we're facing right now in this country is because of the government. We're not building back anything better right now, Tucker. Americans need to wake up to that fact. Candace Owens, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Was that even a conversation? <laughs> it's, it was just like, hello, I've invited you on for your three minutes hate. Commence. Yeah. So many Tucker's guests is like, let's soliloquy at each other for a bit. It's the government that's sowing div- racial division? Is that? Did I, yeah, did I misunderstand that? <laughs> they want us to be divided and focused on race instead of uniting to oppose people of other races 
That, that's the takeaway from this whole segment, I think. So she she has all these concerns about us becoming a communist dictatorship, whatever. And then um, even like from one sentence to another, this doesn't make sense because she's talking about how like y- you can tell things are becoming so communist because in North Korea, they don't have words for things like stress, um, stress. Um, I, I, I don't think I I think I cut, cut the clip off early, but she also says they don't have words for love, gay or social justice. Um. And so, like, the okay. hallmarks of this communist regime are the repression of concepts that are the very same concepts that she thinks are driving us into a communist regime here. Like, the embrace of different sexualities and taking mental health seriously and uh, complaining about dissatisfaction with the status quo. Like, here, yeah. those things are going to make us communist, but I guess once we're communist, we won't be allowed to talk about them. I don't, like... It's bizarre. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then here, Tucker makes a point that I spiritually agree with. Spiritually. So we spend a lot of time pounding on the Democratic Party and individual Democrats on this show. But the truth is, we're going to be totally honest. We need a sane Democratic Party in America if we're going to continue. Democrats and Republicans will always disagree on specific solutions. But the key is this. Both parties have to have the same goal, improving the country and the lives of the individual Americans who live here. As long as you have that, the rest is just a policy debate. That's the way it's been for centuries. That's what we need to return to. So I I would prefer that we didn't have a two-party system. But if we do, which it seems like we're kind of stuck with, I would prefer that neither party wanted to destroy the underlying foundations of the country yeah um, wouldn't that be nice wouldn't it be nice <laughs> yeah. yeah wouldn't it be if nice our, if, if our democratic republic yeah wouldn't it be nice if our democratic republic didn't make us choose between a fascist and the administration that made the fascist popular <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be nice also, okay, back to Tucker here. Um, Tucker Carlson, Democrats need to be sane. Also, anyone who thinks that we should pay reparations to people who have had their families torn apart uh, are deranged. But the Democrats, they're the insane ones. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What, uh, what percentage I hate of... You. <laughs> Of Democrats need to believe in Jewish space lasers before they become a sane party. <laughs> um, I remember, like during the 2016 election, I, I was in I was in a college class, and, and at this point, it was like I think that Ted Cruz was still in the race, but it was it was clear that Donald Trump was going to be the Republican nominee. And the professor was like, "Everyone running has a, has the country's best interests at heart." I really believe that, and. Bunch of people in the class booed. Uh, good, because he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I, every once in a while I think I think back to that and like I wonder if he still thinks that. <laughs> like, was he just tr- not trying to step on toes, or like does he actually think? I don't know. I don't know we man. could play this game all day. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, after that, Tucker he he talks to Tulsi Gabbard for a bit, and I'm. I don't care. Um, okay. And then uh, the he gets into a little bit of a friends with 
Dave Rubin now. That's <laughs> yeah. She she's made a whole lot of, of friends who show up on this show. Weird. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Speaking of kind of cringy Democrats, he has a theory about Gavin Newsom. Well, here's quite a mystery. The governor of the largest state in America has gone missing, not seen since he had his COVID-19 booster, probably totally unrelated. Been about 12 days now. Fox's Bill Malugin is on the case for us tonight. Hey, Bill. Yeah, so this was a story going around for a bit about how shortly after getting his COVID booster, Gavin Newsom disappeared and nobody saw him for almost two weeks. There's no conspiracy here. He showed up like... At a wedding, and he was at a conference. He's back in public now, like he. There was no disappearing governor. Um, but so the premise is false. Yeah, and I might not have covered this, except that Tucker is explicitly using it as like, look, I bet, I bet the, I bet the COVID booster made him sick. Um, Yeah, which you can easily then extrapolate into, oh, I shouldn't get it. So Mm -hmm. it's. Even dumb shit like this, Tucker manages to make dangerous. Yeah, kind of his thing, I guess. And then this gets us into uh, some some murkier territory. So, Tyler, do you know anything about Dave Portnoy? No. Yeah, so Dave Should Portnoy. I? No. Um, <laughs> okay, I good. did not expect you to know about Dave Portnoy. Okay, good. <laughs> So Dave Portnoy is the founder of Barstool Sports, which is a, a media outlet mainly focused on sports, but also like just pop culture, dude, bro stuff. Okay. Um, he's a multimillionaire and throughout his career, he's been a outspoken misogynistic douchebag. He is also on Tucker's show all the time. Tucker talked to him for an hour on Tucker Carlson today recently. They they seem to be buddies, and um, saying the right things. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're tight. Now Tucker wants to introduce a, a segment about Dave Portnoy on on this show. Well, here's a story for you. Dave Portnoy is the founder, of course, of Barstool Sports. He's a cultural icon. Portnoy is not especially political. He seems a lot more interested in stock tips than election polling. But he is unapologetically American. Always has been. He thinks you ought to be allowed to say what you really think in this country, even if NBC News doesn't like it. So that attitude and his success as a publisher has made Portnoy a massive threat to legacy media organizations. They truly hate him. So last week, they decided to destroy his life. A sleazy little blog called Business Insider dispatched a robot reporter to snoop around in Portnoy's sex life. They didn't find anything illegal or even especially surprising, but they tried their best to humiliate him. Now they're harassing his advertisers. The question is, can this business insider, whoever that is, succeed in killing Dave Portnoy? And that's a question that anyone who's interested in free speech and the free exchange of ideas should probably care about. So this is obviously the least important thing that he said. But why is he pretending to not know that Business Insider is like a major publication? Yeah, like Tucker has cited Business Insider articles on his show. I believe it was episode five of this show where he... uh, he was directly quoting from a, a business insider article about COVID cases in South Africa. So <laughs> it is not the case that he has never heard of business insider. He's just being a dick. Anybody who like casually reads the news knows that business insider is like 
a major publisher. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, what, what does his audience think when they hear that? Like, Oh, business insider. Like, like they, they've heard of business insider. I, I have, must have, I have faith that people who watch Tucker Carlson show have heard of business insider. If they've ever read anything on the internet. Um, and now he's just going to pretend that it's this fake blog. He called it a blog, right? Yeah, a sleazy little blog. What the fuck? <laughs> again, again, just like com- we don't live in the same reality. How do you how do you even talk to someone like this? I, I, think, I think Tucker approaches every story. How can it be maximally douchey? Seriously. <laughs> um. But yeah, so Business Insider, the sleazy little blog, put out a hit piece about his friend Dave Portnoy. So he's going to bring Dave on, and do you think this might be a leading question? So I guess the rules are, they don't like your posture, the cut of your jib, your attitude. You don't take orders, so they send some little robot to snoop around in your personal life. Don't find anything illegal, but print all this stuff anonymously about your sex life and then try to destroy you. Like these are the rules now. What? Yeah. Maybe, maybe just a little bit of a leading question there. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe there's a certain tone that he's trying to encourage. Yeah. And then a, a robot. What? Yeah. They said there's some sleazy little blog. Uh, sent a robot to sift through your garbage. <laughs> yes, we definitely live in the same reality. <laughs> yeah, so then here is Portnoy's response. Eight months. So I've heard about this uh, article, this hit piece that they had in the works for eight months. I'm talking everybody that was attached to me on social media, people I didn't even know, people who talked about me, every single person attached to me, this reporter reached out and basically had leading questions. Hey, any dirt on Dave Portnoy, anything bad to find? They found virtually nothing. Two examples, I'd argue, uh, both which I've unequivocally provided proof that they're not telling the truth. Beyond that, not only me, there's one instance, there's an actual police report that reads like it's from The Onion. I'm basically accused of going to a local cookie shop um, with a different girl every few days. So that is the gist of it. That's the gist of it, Tyler. Um, not very family values of you, Dave Portnoy. Yeah, so at this point, I was like... it. It re- really, I was just curious about the cookie shop. Was, what's scandalous about the cookie shop? <laughs> so I, I, I went and found this Business Insider article, and this is worse than I could have imagined. So the article that they're talking about, has the it's, it's by a reporter named Julia Black, and it has the following title. Uh, the headline reads, I was literally screaming in pain. Young women say they met Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy for sex, and it turned violent and humiliating. So this article details allegations from three different women who say that they had sex with Portnoy, and the encounters turned into frightening and humiliating experiences that have taken a toll on their mental health. The first of the women in the article is is identified as Madison, and she describes an encounter with Portnoy when she was 20 and he was 43. Madison sent Portnoy a direct message on Instagram complimenting his pizza reviews, and the two wound up communicating over text and Snapchat, where Portnoy pressed her to reveal her sexual fantasies. In texts that she provided to Business Insider, she described a rape fantasy, 
To which Portnoy replied, you and I are going to get along so well. Shortly thereafter, Portnoy bought Madison a plane ticket to come visit him at his Nantucket home. Madison described the trip to Business Insider as a traumatic experience. She describes Dave as being very rude, but the line was crossed when the two began to have sex. Madison said that she first became uncomfortable when Portnoy pulled out his phone and started filming her without asking permission as she performed oral sex on him. I never said anything. I was scared. He was just so mean, she said. Madison provided Business Insider with text messages she sent to a friend two days after her encounter with Portnoy, where she described the experience this way, quote, It was so rough, I felt like I was being raped. He videotaped me and spit in my mouth and choked me so hard I couldn't breathe. And it hurt, and I was literally screaming in pain. She recalled crying and shouting, too much, too much, and it hurts. It was so painful, Madison said. I kept trying to get away, and he was like, stop running away from me, stop running away from me. But Portnoy, she said, just went harder. The second woman also claims that Portnoy filmed her without permission and choked her without permission. This woman asked not to be identified for fear of retaliation from Portnoy and his fans. Quote, I know how he is when someone goes after him, she said. I thought he would, I thought he would say something in public or share videos of me. This is not an unfounded fear. Portnoy's online fans, who call themselves stoolies, have, run, have on numerous occasions doxxed and harassed people, especially women who feud with Portnoy. At one point, Portnoy claimed that his ex-girlfriend had cheated on him with a soul cycle instructor. This was in 2017. After these claims, Portnoy's fans made the ex-girlfriend's information public and harassed her as well as SoulCycle. Since 2020, Portnoy has issued commands on Twitter for his fans to attack. Uh, he'll tweet attack at people who criticize him or Barstool, and even tagged an employee who has been hired for the express purpose of harassing Portnoy's online, online enemies. The third woman is identified in the article as Allison. She describes an encounter with Dave when he was 43 and she was 19. Allison's sister, Olivia, who had recently graduated college, told Business Insider that some of her friends were sending Portnoy direct messages attempting to get his attention, but he, quote, wasn't giving them the time of day. Then they realized that her 19-year-old sister, Allison, might be more his type. They said, you should reach out to him. He likes younger girls. And he completely took the bait, Olivia said. He was much more interested in her than any of my 22-year-old friends. Allison recalled sitting by the pool. Portnoy offered her watermelon and water. He asked her which, which school she went to and what grade she was in. Then, she said, he got up to go inside and I was like, okay, I'll go with you. And he said, I didn't know it would be that easy. He leaned in and started kissing me and I didn't know what to do at that point, she added. And we went upstairs and he was really aggressive and I didn't know what to do. And we had sex and that was it and he kicked me out. Allison said her memories were fuzzy because of her emotional distress surrounding the event. But, like Madison, she said the Portnoy choked her. He kept spitting in my mouth, which was really gross, Allison said. I was kind of scared. I didn't want to disappoint him. After the encounter, two photos began to circulate online. A selfie of Allison and Portnoy together, and a photo of Allison leaving Portnoy's house. Allison described feeling overwhelmed by the experience of Portnoy and the subsequent attention it drew. Three nights after having sex with Portnoy, Allison was suicidal and was hospitalized. So this is disgusting. Tucker yep. Tucker is bringing Portnoy on his show to frame the article in this way as this 
of this hit piece. They called everybody I knew and they couldn't even find anything. They just said I was going to do a cookie shop with a different girl every day. What what they're doing is building in a primer. So if people run into these allegations against Fortnite, they're like, oh, that's that dumb hit piece from Business Insider, whoever that is. And it, yeah, it, it's it's just Tucker helping shield his friend from accountability. And it's disgusting. Yeah. Despicable. Right. Uh, you even gave a warning and I was not I was not ready. That fucked up. Um, I don't want to kink shame anyone who's who's into rape fantasies, but the fact that he was really excited about it and uh, we're going to get along really well immediately after. Uh, like you said, red flag. Yeah, like this. And Portnoy's, Portnoy's defense is that all of these encounters were consensual. And so he didn't do anything illegal. And that, that gets us into this weird area because like the sexual encounters, they, they did consent to having sex with him. But you can't withdraw consent if your throat is being, if you can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. And like, it, it's such a line too, that he filmed them without permission. Like, yeah, that, that, that is sexual abuse. That is yeah. like, even if I have consented to sharing my body with you right now, I did not consent to you storing that image forever outside of my possession or control. Yeah. Like you, you cannot do that without asking that is. And also it sounds like none of them consented to have to getting spit in their mouths. That's a right. Yeah. Like you, like those are the kinds of things that you really need to talk about ahead of time. Like the behavior described here, while maybe not strictly illegal is unacceptable. Yeah, like that's such a like sleazy defense. Like, well, I didn't do anything illegal. Like, that doesn't mean it wasn't wrong, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, le- legal or not, this is this is deeply abusive and fucked up behavior, especially given the power imbalance when he's a famous 43-year-old multimillionaire and these are 19-year-olds. Yeah, a, a cultural icon, Troy. Get it right. <laughs> cultural icon, Dave Portnoy. Yes, cultural icon that I've never heard of before today. Um, <laughs> who sleeps with 19-year-old girls. Uh, creep. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The article goes on to make references to numerous instances where Portnoy has made rape jokes, used the N-word on camera, and harassed female journalists. There are numerous examples detailed throughout the piece about Portnoy's career and points where he's rejectified or demeaned women, a toxic workplace culture, and defended rapists. For example, in, in a 2017 episode of the podcast Barstool Radio, Portnoy seemed to defend a hypothetical ca- casting couch c- scenario in which Harvey Weinstein said to a struggling actress, hey, if you sleep with me, I'm going to put you in a starring role. No force, just a question, Portnoy said. Do you have a problem with that trade? In 2010, Portnoy infamously wrote a blog post defending an Australian man who had been acquitted of raping a 24-year-old woman on the so-called skinny jeans defense. Quote from Portnoy, I never condone rape, but if you're a size 6 and you're wearing skinny jeans, you kind of deserve to be raped, Portnoy wrote. Fuck you. Holy shit. The post has since been removed, shocker. But just this May, Portnoy told Fox News host Tucker Carlson that there was only one part of that statement that he regretted. Quote, I thought size six was like size 20, he said. I had my measurements screwed up. I wasn't on top of that. So 
Dave Portnoy can go fuck himself. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but like women can wear whatever they want and they don't deserve to be raped. No one deserves to be raped. Yeah, that of, of course goes without saying, but it's good to say it anyway. Like there, there is literally nothing you can wear that makes it okay for you to be assaulted. Yeah, that's not a thing. Um, that is a thing creepy men say to justify their rapiness. What are you talking about? This police report with the cookie shop. You can go into a different girl like, every day, going with a different girl every day. What he is re- referencing there? Allison, the 19-year-old who became suicidal after her encounter and was hospitalized. Her mother went through Allison's phone trying to understand what had happened. And after finding Portnoy's messages, Allison's mother called the Nantucket Police Department. She told the police, quote, go put somebody outside his door because you're going to see every day there's some young girl being dropped off. Business Insider viewed police documents confirming this call. Her mother wanted to pursue some sort of legal action against Portnoy, but Allison refused. I knew that he would drag me through the mud, Allison said. So the police report states that it was filed to alert police to Portnoy's, quote, bad behavior and accuses Portnoy of hanging out with 18-year-old girls when he is in, in Nantucket. The mother says that David Portnoy is a 43-year-old and he shouldn't be dating 18-year-olds. The police report says that the mother stated she wants to give us a heads up. That was what the officer wrote. The report also wanted to note that Portnoy, quote, always asks girls if they're at least 18 years old and willing to have sexual intercourse with him. The mother went on to report that people from the local fish and meat market told her that David Portnoy came there with a different girl every time he goes there. So what he's using to illustrate how ridiculous this article is and how they didn't even find anything. It's not even from the article. It's just he's literally talk- a police report. Yeah. He's talking about a police report. The mother of the mother of this girl filed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. They didn't find anything on me. This police report that they saw, that they found said, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Yeah. It's even if, I mean, I totally believe the, the, these women, but even if it turns out that this is all a big misunderstanding and David Portnoy didn't do anything wrong, this segment is still gross because Tucker doesn't know that. Yeah. He, he's just going off here. Oh, I like Dave Portnoy. He's my friend. So he gets to come on my show and whitewash allegations of sexual abuse. Like, th- yeah, this this made me really, really angry. Like, this is so fucked up. And then Dave goes on to talk about how bad this article is. How they are allowed to publish this and they couch it in a very, I guess, I guess smart for them. They never accuse me of anything. They just lead you to water and want you to drink with sensationalistic headlines that if I read about myself, not knowing me, like, ooh, this is a bad guy. If you dig into it, there's absolutely nothing there. They reach out to their advertisers, our advertisers, as you say, and said, hey, are you advertising with Dave? Because we're going to write an article about how bad he is. What's the proof? Our own article. I've offered them the chance to discuss it with me with their own cameras, their own recorders, as many people as they want to have a discussion so we can go back and forth. I can say, hey, these facts directly dispute what you wrote. They won't do it. They said, don't talk to us. They won't even discuss it. They print and run. They print and run. It's disgusting in its character assassination. My lawyers have said, just let it go. It'll go away. I'm not going to let it go because this is this behavior. I've never been attacked like this. I've been attacked for two decades, but never escalated to this length. And frankly, 
It's scary. I didn't know that you could do this. So Business Insider wrote that they reached out to Portnoy for comment. His lawyers replied that essentially saying that these allegations are unfounded and your sources are biased. And we really wish you would give us more time to to respond to this. So then Business Insider gave them an additional two days and they didn't respond. So Portnoy saying that Business Insiders refused to talk to him is bullshit. Okay, so that should have been expected, perhaps. They, uh, they're going to get into here, I know you are, but what am I, basically? And they're bad at that. They're even bad at that. So it's interesting. There are a lot of interesting things here. But, you know, Business Insider was founded by a guy who pled to securities fraud and admitted lying to investors, which I, you know, so it's like, I don't know, maybe don't throw stones. But this is a publication supposed to be covering business. You run a business. You've been really successful in business. You got to kind of wonder why you? You're not running for anything. Like, is there a business angle, do you think, in their decision to try and destroy you? It's weird because I'm being treated as though I'm a politician and politics is the dirtiest game ever. I will say uh, Penn, which is a Penn National, which is involved with Barstool. There's a lot of Penn stock. Penn stock had their earnings the day this article dropped. The day this article dropped. There's 365 days in a year. It dropped the same day, the day before, there was wild shorting. Basically, people betting against Penn. You can bet on a stock against it. For some reason, tons of people bet against it. The day before it dropped, as you mentioned, Henry Blodgett was convicted for SEC fraud. He can never trade stocks the rest of his life. He stole work people's money that's the ceo of the company that wrote this hit piece it's just unbelievable i mean from my perspective not involved in your business or any of this stuff it's just important that people say what they really mean and that we have space for someone who's unapologetically honest and maybe not feminized and so i just am really rooting for you to survive this and i know that you will dave portnoy thank you for coming on thank you couple of things here. The uh, the CEO of Business Insider, this guy, Henry Blodgett, um, Tucker says that he was convicted of securities fraud and banned from trading stocks. So maybe don't throw stones as though, I, I mean, not to defend financial crimes. I think financial crimes should be pursued more vigorously, but don't act like this is how dare you accuse Tate Portnoy of being a sexual predator if you committed securities fraud. Yeah. And then I, I was just going to say, I don't, um, I don't love that, like the stock market incentivizes people to do news stories and then insider trading goes on among rich people secretly, you know? Um, but I don't think that's what this is. I, I think this is like, Hey, there's a rapist out there probably. And he's a really powerful person. So we have to tell people. Barstool also posted um like they their their the earnings that they posted for the quarter came in under projections. So like there are other reasons why their stock prices might have gone down. But Dave really wants to equivocate with like, oh well they this hit piece had the perfect timing because they all wanted to it short sell Penn National stock, which is a 39% stakeholder in Barstool Sports. It's absurd. they they have to add these layers of conspiracy to def- to diffuse blame off of board noise actions and tucker is just giving yeah. him giving him a platform to do that is um, it bad that i'm kind of happy that he's not like attacking the women like at least he's attacking journalists who are like in the public eye and not the women who are who like are accusing him like i 
it's 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 one step above ground zero but (laughs) or above rock bottom but uh but it's a step i guess yeah and portnoy has kind of attacked the women in other outlets just not here like i watched a video where he in in regards to allison the girl who was hospitalized he was like yeah i think she hooked up with me and then her mom found out about it and the girl started making up stories so she wouldn't get in trouble fuck you yeah all right well so much for my one step above rock bottom we're back <laughs> okay nope De- uh portnoy i tried, is, I, I tried to help bottom you feeders um <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing just really sat poorly with me that this is just so blatant i, I can't get over it. it just boils down to oh i i better help out my friend and like that's the entire moral calculus here it's i i i hated this (laughs) yeah if he had an ounce of empathy for a single other human being besides himself like (laughs) so then at after this tucker talks to marjorie taylor green because she went and interviewed some um capital rioters being held in attention and i don't trust marjorie taylor green to convey information accurately so i don't really care what she has to say I think you are uh, right on that. And then Tucker leads into this story. Another amazing story for you tonight. So right before the last election, the president's daughter, Ashley Biden, somehow was separated from her diary. She says it was stolen. So in the pretext of that, a year later, FBI agents just raided the homes of several working journalists, including a current employee at Project Veritas. They broke down doors in pre-dawn raids. They were trying to seize material that might embarrass the Biden family. Their boss was upset, and so they did this for him. Pretty amazing, really. All right. Have you heard at all about Ashley Biden's diary? Uh, no. That sounds useless and insignificant to <laughs> the goings-on of the world. Yeah, so the, the, this is a nice change of pace because we've talked ad nauseum about Hunter Biden's laptop. But we have not talked about Ashley Biden's diary. Okay, it's Hunter Biden's laptop to electric boogaloo. That's that's what's happening. I see. I see it now. The the story that Tucker is talking about here, and I'll I'll talk more about this diary in a minute. But um basically alleged pictures of pages from this diary have been online since uh October of twenty twenty. The story has been that, that it, the diary was abandoned at a house that Ashley Biden used to live in, and it was somehow procured from there and leaked to this outlet called National File, which is a dog shit publication. And National File has put out a bunch of pages and transcripts from this alleged diary. And we'll talk more about the content of those pages in just a minute. But the reason that Tucker is talking about this now is because... Um, the FBI has raided the home of James O'Keefe and two other associates of Project Veritas in relation to um, this stolen diary. So okay. Tucker wants to paint this as an attack on press freedom. Why is the FBI involved in this at all? If it's a stolen diary and now they're raiding the homes with journalists, this is scary. And he's going to run with that ball for a little while. All right. Sounds fun. So we're going to begin with the statement from the head of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe. Here's his summary of what happened. 
welcome is Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation, claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the president's FBI and his Department of Justice a diary? So that's a really good question. Okay, so the FBI, DOJ, is saying that Ashley Biden's diary was stolen in a burglary. Now, we can't verify it either way. That does not appear to be true. Actually, it seems like Ashley Biden left the diary in a house when she moved out. But whatever, let's say for the sake of argument that the diary was stolen. The FBI raids still don't make any sense. No one is claiming these journalists stole the diary. Is it unusual for the FBI to be involved in, a sto- in the case of a stolen diary? I mean, maybe. I imagine that if I reported a diary stolen, that that probably wouldn't lead to an FBI raid, right? So They're the, also not a Biden. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So to, to the extent that this is like a nepotism thing, I mean, sure, kind of, I guess. I understand why people might say that this is like an incongruent response with how this kind of case normally be handled, and that might indicate... They want to say it indicates corruption. I'm not sure if I would go that far. Um, I think it's probably classist. I mean, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I I just can't really muster up a lot of care about it. Like it's a diary. the 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 other part of this is that it's it's an attack on press freedom because James O'Keefe from Project Veritas didn't steal the diary it was given to them um and for the fbi to be raiding the homes of journalists and taking evidence is wrong now for for anybody who doesn't know about james o'keefe from project veritas journalist is the most charitable word that could possibly be associated with them um they're a grifty bullshit propaganda outlet before, when we were talking about the uh, the Center for Medical Progress and their anti-abortion stuff, I got I got their stunts conflated with the stunt that James O'Keefe pulled, where he and um, uh, a woman who was working with him made fraudulent calls to several Planned Parenthood clinics, where the girl posed as the 13-year-old, saying that she had been impregnated by a 30-year-old her 30-year-old boyfriend, and saying she would need an abortion. Now, because obviously that's statutory rape, Planned Parenthood is under legal obligation to report it to authorities. When on these calls, they found a couple of instances where Planned Parenthood employees maybe didn't press the girl for that information or tried to like help render services. There are a couple of people who gave her advice of like, don't don't mention to your care provider the age of the person who got you pregnant because it'll make it easier for you to get health care. Um, if you don't have to jump through all these legal hoops and stuff, or, or, or they didn't want her to be dissuaded from seeking out healthcare if um, she didn't want to get the boyfriend arrested or things along those lines. So most of the Planned Parenthood staff that they talked to did follow protocol, but yeah. they were able to find a couple of examples of people, like I said, saying things like don't don't mention the age of your boyfriend when you're trying to get healthcare. And you said to make a big thing about how Planned Parenthood was like endorsing pedophilia. And um, it's like, no. Yeah. And it, 
and that's really been that's the kind of thing that they that project veritas does they set traps that they bait with empathy okay some of their stunts have been really wacky like at one point they they were al- during the whole Tea Party movement. There were, al- there were allegations that a senator was blocking calls from Tea Party activists, and so O'Keefe sent a team there to her office, pretending to be telephone repairmen, um, to try and see if it was true that she was blocking calls from Tea Party people. And um, they didn't bring any tools, so they were quickly found out to be not telephone repairmen. And James O'Keefe got in trouble because that was like entering uh, the Capitol building under false pretenses. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah. There, there was also an instance where a reporter from CNN was going to interview James O'Keefe. He decided he wanted to embarrass the CNN reporter. So he arranged for her to meet him on a yacht and set up a room where they would be surrounded by dildos and sex toys. Uh, which I don't totally understand the goal of that plan. <laughs> um, I yeah. guess other than to make somebody uncomfortable. But yeah, and to be gross. But uh, a female employee who worked for O'Keefe was uncomfortable with this plan and tipped off the reporter. But that good. But all of this is how O'Keefe operates. He sets up these bullshit scenarios, lies through his teeth, and he's a he's a right wing media darling for it. That said, when Project Veritas came into possession of this diary in in 2020, um, apparently a Project Veritas board member killed the story and made the decision not to release the diary. So then a Project Veritas employee who was frustrated with this leaked it to National File, and they're the ones who published it. The fact that this diary didn't meet the editorial standards of Project Veritas tells me that it's probably on pretty shaky ground as far as being a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then let's, let, let's get into some of the contents of this diary a little. No one is claiming these journalists stole the diary. The material in question is already public. Some of it's pretty awful. It's been on the internet for a year. We decided not to cover it, by the way. It's awful. So what Tucker is alluding to here is a passage in the diary, allegedly written by Ashley Biden. That's, again, not confirmed. And, and they're treating this, this FBI raid as though, oh, this confirms the diary was real, um, which I, I don't know. But regardless, there's a passage in the diary where Ashley Biden says that she was probably sexually assaulted when she was young um, and then describes taking showers with her father, which she says were probably inappropriate. So that's what Tucker is alluding to when he says that the contents of this diary are awful. Um, These are essentially the basis of allegations that Joe Biden sexually abused his daughter. Yeah. Now, again, if this were a, a reasonably sourced article, um, this diary, then why would Tucker have made the decision not to cover that? Like he said, he said we decided not to, not to cover it, by the way. But why, Tucker? Was it maybe because you didn't think the diary was real? Because if if you thought if you thought that it was real and that James O'Keefe and Project Veritas are above board then why wouldn't you have covered that story? Like it would be a perfect story for Tucker to destroy the Biden administration if he wanted, you know? Yeah. And this, this isn't Ashley Biden coming out and saying that I I was abused as a kid. This is a diary that allegedly belongs to her 
that apparently was stolen out of a house she used to live in. It it just I I I I can't trust this information. But Tucker Tucker nodding to that here. He's like, oh, go look it up. Go see for yourself. It's awful. And that way he's able to have it both ways. He's able to let the implication stand because the implication is good for him without saying anything that might be like legally actionable. <laughs> right. And, uh, and he, he, he's very good at that. He's, he's done that in a very smart way. And it's so frustrating to hear him pedal in this innuendo when in this same fucking episode, he helped Dave Portnoy deflect the credible allegations of sexual abuse of young women. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. This is yeah, like this is the grossest single episode of Tucker's show in a while. Um, he talks about this fucking diary thing all week. He's really mad that James O'Keefe was raided. It, it, it it's a mess, dude. Yeah, uh, that that is the impression that I'm getting. I don't. I just. I don't even know what to say. How do you? How do you sleep at night, Tucker? How do you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is so fucked up. Yeah. Um, so then at this point, I I was really frustrated, dude, because I was like, okay, I I don't want to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. It makes me sad. So what else is going on this week? And then I accidentally find Tucker covering up for sexual misdeeds and then trafficking in Joe Biden as a pedophile conspiracies. <laughs> and yeah, I just I an incestuous pedophile at that. <laughs> yeah. So then to put the cherry on top, to be, to be perfectly clear, if at any point there is credible evidence that Joe Biden engaged in misconduct with his daughter, then absolutely that should be acted upon with the full with the full force of the law. Yes. Yes, agree. I shouldn't I was thinking that and yeah, it's, we shouldn't let that just be implied, but you know, Rock is going to pretend that he's perfect in every way, but this doesn't seem to be credible evidence is the impression I'm getting at least, or, or we don't know. We don't know if it is because we don't know if it's actually Ashley's journal or, or what. Yeah. Go ahead. The diary thing feels like it's out of a movie. I'm not saying no one keeps a diary, but I don't know anyone who keeps a diary. (laughs) Yeah, and well, if you look at the contents of this alleged diary, what it seems to be, it would have been like something she was keeping um, as kind of an assignment from therapy, which I think makes this even more fucked up. Like, that should be confidential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then uh, at, at this point in the show, I was really bummed out. And then Tucker teases his final segment, which was this. So really the point of their immigration policy is domestic politics, maybe kind of reshuffle the population a little bit so they win. They're not doing that. Now we learn, actually, the Biden administration is secretly resettling foreign nationals, illegal immigrants all over the country with resettlement flights, most of them secret. Now, almost 80 of these flights recently have landed in the state of Florida. What happened next? Well, here's one thing. An illegal migrant from Honduras called Medina Uloa was on one of those flights. He is now accused of murdering a father of four in his own home. Ron DeSantis is the sitting governor of Florida. He joins us tonight. Governor, thanks so much for coming on. 
So it's it, it's great replacement bullshit. They're flying in migrants to change the composition of the country. Let's talk to Ron DeSantis <sighs> about how he's not going to let immigrants into Florida. Great. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I, I fucking turned it off. I was like, I'm not going to hear Ron DeSantis talk with Tucker about the great replacement theory. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it today. Awesome. That <laughs> means I don't have to do it either. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I I'm putting Tucker on timeout. We I, I, we were gonna go back to the nightly show after a couple of weeks away, and we got through one day, and saw Tucker just rolling around in some of the most disgusting shit I've ever seen him engage in. So yeah, yeah. Um, like if I were Fox, I would be so angry that this is happening. Like. Even I, I feel like even conservatives should care if like women get raped. You know what I mean? Yeah, as a bare minimum, man. Like, yeah, it's it's just insane. Like I, I go back to Portnoy's behavior is. I mean, I know I said this already, but if not strictly illegal unacceptable you cannot you cannot treat people that way no and i just i i don't understand how it can be like oh decency is important traditional values are important but this is like it's it's so obviously so steeped in this patriarchal like it does not matter to tucker at all if women are treated with dignity Right, because they're not people. They're they're things for men to have sex with at any age above seventeen, apparently. Yeah. So then, at, at this point, the, the the nightly show sucked. So yeah, I'm getting that impression. I to to close out today, I would like us to listen to Candace takes down Big Bird. Um, <laughs> because. <laughs> It's the best I could drum up for a palate cleanser today. <laughs> Troy, I didn't sign a contract when I joined this podcast, but if I had, it would have said, I will never cover Candace Owens' show. <laughs> yeah, we um we, we have a listener who I think is in the process of starting a, a, a Candace Owens based podcast. So um, if and when that gets off the ground, then I will happily rep it and maybe they can take this off our hands for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please get started tomorrow. <laughs> Email us if you need help with anything. Oh my God. <laughs> Welcome back to everyone's favorite segment. I honestly never thought that I would be saying this, but for today's counterpoint, I'm going to be taking on Sesame Street's Big Bird. <laughs> Let's hear what Big Bird has to say. Have you decided if Big Bird's going to be getting the vaccine? Oh, yes, I did. I asked my questions and I got my answers. And I've scheduled an appointment for my grandsonny. We're leaving in a few minutes. Okay. Now, I just need to get one last thing before we go to your appointment, Big Bird. Uh, okay. I'll be right back. All right. Uh, I have one more question. Oh, sure, sure, Big Bird. What's that? Well, uh, uh, I'm a little scared to get the shot because I don't like needles. Uh, will it hurt? Oh, it's okay to be scared and to have some of those big feelings, Big Bird. Can I tell you something? I'm a grown-up, and 
I don't really like needles mm-hmm. either. In fact, even as an adult, I don't like to look when the doctor puts that shot in my arm. And I'm the same way too, Big Bird. Well, but you're a doctor. Yeah, but you know, even some doctors don't like getting shots. Luckily, there are ways that we can manage some of those big feelings. Oh, yeah. You know, one thing that I find is maybe singing a song to distract yourself. Maybe the ABCs while you're getting your shot. You know what I like to do? I like to bring something from home that might make me feel safe, like a favorite toy maybe. I also take three big breaths and then think about all the fun things I can do after I get the vaccine. Oh, you know who else we could ask, Big Bird? We could ask Rosita. Remember, she just got her shot. We could ask what she did. Okay. I just want to point out, this is still going on. She's playing this full Sesame Street segment on her show. (laughs) (laughs) Can I also just take a second? Just in the first couple seconds, she is posturing like she's America's hero because she's going to take down Big Bird. (laughs) Don't worry, America. I got this. Fucking Big Bird? You're protecting America from Big Bird? Thank you God we clown? have Candace Owens on the Big Bird beat. Oh my God. It takes it takes a real hard-nosed reporter to, to handle like the Sesame Street beat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Hi, Rosita. Uh, did it hurt when you got the vaccine shot? And, and were you scared? I was a little scared, Big Bird. But my mommy and my papi helped me, and little Gatito helped me, too. Oh, Gatito, Rosita, is that your lovey? See? See? When I was getting ready for my vaccine, I sat in the chair, and I held Gatito over my belly like this. And I watched Gatito move in and out on my belly. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Before I knew it, the shot was over, and I had this cool vaccine. You know, Band-Aid on my arm. Mm-hmm. Really? That that was it? Yep. Yeah, I barely felt it. Yeah. And, you know, my arm only hurts a little. Hmm. Well, gee, thanks, Rosita. Oh, that makes me feel a lot better. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. All right. I'm going to try to get through this. Here we go. Counterpoint number one. Now, wait just one minute. I thought we weren't supposed to listen or take advice from anybody but the experts. You know, the big pharma conglomerates that are raking in billions of dollars in profit and the governments who are raking in never-before-seen amounts of power and control over the people that they govern the longer that this pandemic goes on. You know, the ones who are transferring trillions of dollars to themselves in the perpetuity to deal with this emergency. I thought that those were the only people we were supposed to listen to. Aren't you guys the very same people who told us not to listen to Joe Rogan? He's an idiot, Remember? Aaron Rodgers, same thing, an an idiot. Actual doctors with decades of experience treating patients but happen to disagree with the forced mainstream narrative. Censored, removed from YouTube, fact-checked, cover your ears, don't listen. But now we are supposed to listen to Big Bird. Okay, got it. Just kidding. No, I don't got it. You guys are hypocritical liars. We'll get back to the show. Candice, uh, she she does these counterpoint segments where she lists lists her counterpoints. Um, so here, her first counterpoint was that only listen it, to experts. Yeah, which, which I just is want what to point Big out. Bird is doing. <laughs> yes, yeah. In that clip she played from Sesame Street, Big Bird was listening to doctors and asking them for advice. So Big Bird was listening to the experts. You idiot! Uh, 
Does she have a real live studio audience or does she have she does. like a laugh track button? Okay. Yeah, uh, she uh, it, so she seems to want to She seems to want to be like a, a common a cross between Rush Limbaugh and Oprah Winfrey. Uh I would love to get Oprah Winfrey's opinions on Candace Owens. I would love to hear Oprah give me her thoughts. Our first ever guest on Tucker and I will be Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so counterpoint number one is a bad counterpoint because big bird was listening to the advice of experts big oh, bird and and um joe rogan is an idiot that is still true and joe rogan um, is an idiot <laughs> counterpoint number two it took joe biden less than a day to reply to big bird on twitter here's what he said he said good on you big bird after big bird tweeted because there's so many kids that are on twitter so many five-year-olds that are on Twitter. I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. Ms. Erica Hill even said, I've been getting vaccines since I was a little bird. I had no idea. To which our uh, POTUS replied, good on you, big bird. Getting vaccinated is the best way to keep your whole neighborhood safe. And I have to say, guys, wow. I don't know. I am just very impressed by that response. This is Joe Biden, who couldn't be bothered to leave Delaware to address the country within 24 hours after having young American sons and daughters slaughtered overseas in Afghanistan because of his utter incompetence. After lying to our faces and saying that it wasn't going to be another Vietnam, remember that part? Yeah, and that it was. And then abandoning even more Americans and billions of dollars of our military equipment in Afghanistan, he still could not be bothered within 24 hours to address the nation. Not even to lie to us a little more. And when he finally did address the nation's via a press conference, totally against his will, obviously, he didn't take a single question from a reporter. But I, for one, am so glad to see that his office is rapid-fire response team when Big Bird sends out a tweet in support of his tyranny. Man, children really do seem to be an irresistible draw for our creepiest commander-in-chief. She she just said herself there aren't that many kids on Twitter, and I think she's right about that. So petty point aside, was that actually a counterpoint? That was just a man, Joe Biden sure sucks, doesn't he? Yeah, I like that wasn't like a counterpoint to the clip she played. Yeah, her her counterpoint was that Joe Biden tweeted about it within 24 hours, which she then builds up this false equivalency of Afghanistan in his slow response. Which is completely unrelated. (laughs) Yeah. It almost like sending a tweet and fixing the Middle East art of unequal difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the the first counterpoint was bad, but the second one, I'm not sure even actually counts as a counterpoint. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even willing to give her that. Um, and the, so, so counterpoint actual number two. And do you think Joe Biden manages his own Twitter? No, absolutely Joe Biden not. Right? There's no way. The There's Twitter no way app. Joe Biden has ever personally <laughs> tweeted. <laughs> Leading questions, Troy. Um, <laughs> but it's true. I didn't think of that. But yeah, I don't think Joe Biden knows how to send a tweet. I've I, okay. I've sent one tweet in my life, um, and it was to complain at Burger King. So <laughs> um, so I also lack experience 
in sending tweets. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I've retweeted Greg Kelly a couple of times. <laughs> Last counterpoint, counterpoint number three, because obviously this creepy dystopian segment inspired a considerable amount of backlash online. And in response to that backlash, the left claims conservatives are melting down over Sesame Street. Conservatives are mad about Big Bird. No, it's not Big Bird that we're melting down over. Big Bird is harmless. Big Bird teaches shapes and numbers and sings songs to children to show them how fun learning can be. What conservatives or, you know, any individual with a thinking brain is upset about and what we are responding to is the big pharma pervert dressed up as Big Bird who chokes children away from the decisions of their parents. This is the kind of stuff parents warn their children about on playgrounds. Kids are told, if an old man approaches you in a car and offers you candy to get inside, you run, you scream, you say no. What this despicable segment masquerading as a children's program actually represents is Big Pharma using the candy tactic. You like candy, right? You like Big Bird, right? Well, do what I say and you'll be able to have <laughs> What this is... She's still filth. going. It's perverse brainwashing <laughs> filth. These are child predators looking to persuade children to take action without the advising consent of their parents. People that prey on children, all of them, no matter who they are, no matter how far up the political hierarchy they exist, they belong in prison. Shame on every single person who took part in this segment. Every actor, every writer, every anchor, every government politician and pharmaceutical psychopath who clearly devised this plot to propagandize a children's show. Shame to each and every one of you. Our children are off limits. And if the results of the Virginia gubernatorial election have taught you nothing else, let it be that when it comes to our children, you will lose. Thanks for joining me on this segment of Candace. As you know, The Daily Wire has begun a legal battle with the federal government over the Biden administration's vaccine and testing mandate for large. Okay, so at minute eight of her rant about Big Bird, her counterpoint number three, except it's actually number two because number two wasn't a real counterpoint, is that conservatives aren't mad about Big Bird. Awesome poetry. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I've only been talking about Big Bird for eight minutes. I'm not mad about Big Bird. Like I I love what she said. This is what parents warn their kids about in the playground. Like, you know how when we were kids, Tyler, our parents were like, if a big yellow bird walks up to you and starts offering you a vaccine, (laughs) you do not take that vaccine. Yeah, I do remember that actually. That was a big concern when I was a kid. Those those big bird puppets doling out pharmaceuticals on the playground. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) I remember when they had to call SWAT teams on those big (laughs) shot slinging birds. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so I think this is probably going to be our short, shortest episode because T- Tucker's show sucks and Candace's show is stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and true. At, at a certain Very point, true. like you, you've, you've got to say timeout, like put them in the corner and get the dunce cap that they've earned it. Um. So Tyler, yep. uh, what's our short enemy? <laughs>
Okay, this is a bit of a reach. Uh, I wanted to make a joke about it earlier, um, but Dave Portnoy's fans are called stoolies. That's my sworn enemy, is that they fucking voluntarily call themselves stoolies. It's a good sworn enemy. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. What just... does I call on you to attack the stoolies? <laughs> oh my god okay then i know the show's over but like these are the people whining about cancel culture and he literally has an employee for the sole purpose of like sending twitter mobs after bad press yeah okay sorry the show's over Uh, yeah i think we can agree dave portnoy can go fuck himself (laughs) yeah and fuck, uh, fuck dave portnoy yeah so we what's ahead we'll we'll finish up mold bug and um I, I want to get the Glenn Beck episode out before the Soros documentary drops in December. So that's going to be shortly on the horizon. Um, and I'm sure Tucker will okay. continue to be awful if Monday of this week was any indication. Yeah, um, that does seem to be the indication, doesn't it? So we'll be there to cover it. Um, in the meantime, we've got a website. It's tucker.pod.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at tucker.pod. You can email the show, tuckerdubpod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group, it's Wokeristas. And uh, and we're on Patreon. Yes. Um, Thank you ever so much to our endlessly lovely patrons. But yeah, we've got plenty of stuff coming up. Um, We look forward to seeing you there. In the meantime, do not watch Tucker's show. I'll do it for you. Um, And try to enjoy y'all's life. And thanks for listening. Buck up, it's going to get better.